0: We pray. Heavenly Father, as we continue this Advent journey, we implore of you the gift of patience for the journey ahead. By the power of your Spirit, increase our faith that grasps the promise revealed in your Son's first Advent and trust ever more firmly in the promise of his return. Amen. We are an impatient people. In 1989, the British rock band Queen released their 13th studio album, The Miracle. The lead single featured Freddie Mercury singing, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. It became an apartheid anthem theme, and uh, their first American rock hit since 1981. But this is not a lesson in discology. Rather, the man's insistent cry has come to characterize our culture, a culture in which next day or same day shipping is expected, even demanded, a culture shaped by instant, instant messaging, instant coughing, instant potatoes. And if the microwave is broken, well, there's always Uber Eats, instant food. Waiting for us can be excruciating. The feeling that has only been exasperated by the pandemic. But the biblical truth before us is simply this. Wait. We're told by Jesus in the other room, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Then 40 days later, on a hill outside Bethany, undoubtedly, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Frankly, we're ill-prepared to wait. Our patience wears thin as we wonder, when will you return? God's time, is open-ended, undefined from our perspective. It is, after all. God's timetable, not ours. But I want it all, right? Peter comes to us today with words of caution and words of encouragement. He helps us to understand how God's timetable and our experience of time overlap and are redefined in Jesus. Jesus' promised in return will have two distinctly different natures. He will come as the righteous judge, convicting those who remain entrenched in their rebellion against God and his anointed. But the same judge will publicly lift up all those who have been washed in his blood and the water of baptism and gather them to himself. But the bridegroom is delayed. Our lamps throw him. What support can we find? To lift our sagging hearts in faith and our hands in service. The word promise. Unbelievers, and sometimes also the baptized, hear that word and ask, where is the promise of his coming? Peter, that was their question earlier in chapter 3. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That was the question in Peter's day. And he has some very harsh words to describe the questioners. False teachers, scoffers, blots and blemishes. Their message is filled with sensuality and greed. From chapter 2, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Cursed children, waterless springs, myths driven by a storm. But what is truly shocking here is that he's talking about some of the bad He's not just talking about those out there in the world. Peter cautions them and us, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, what comfort will we find in Christ's second advent? I want it all. And I want it now. Our culture predisposes us to failure and sin. When every passion and deep-seated sense of personal identity that we may have must be affirmed by others, or so our culture demands, we simply confirm each other in our sin. The bridegroom may delay, it, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day, as a 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is one day. God is still in charge. And it is rank unbelief when we live as if Jesus' promise has no bearing on today. There is more, much more in the second letter from Peter. In fact, the word of promise is only the half of it. The reality that is the new heaven and the new earth has already broken into our midst. We may be unaware, but we wrestle with this reality constantly in our midst we wrestle with the reality of the public resurrection that happened in human history. It happened in the midst of the people still living today. Paul will speak of the resurrected Jesus appearing to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. I know Peter Rice. I was there. I saw. I heard. My hands touched the future in the here and now. This sneak peek, this preview of the day of God has already been revealed. We have already seen, we have already handled the resurrection body of Jesus, which has been transformed. It's not the same body that hung on the cross, and yet it is. It is the first fruit of the grave. Imperishable has become, the imperishable has become the imperishable. In this Jesus, the post-easter Son of Man we have entered a world where the past is not simply gone or the future not simply beyond. The curse of sin that consigned all creation to the inevitability of death and destruction has itself been defeated. The future has crashed into the past at the open tomb. And now, that future reality is ever present with us in the sacraments. There at the font, here at the table, God's time overlaps and transforms our time. His spirit in the water and the his son's body and blood united with bread and wine. The invisible manifests invisible, where grace invades and permeates nature. Newtonian physics and the processes of microevolution do not fully constitute or describe the world. He said the world is constituted by this, that the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The future has come in the resurrection of Jesus in his real voice and his real presence. Time, space, matter, and spirit all find discontinuity and continuity in the resurrected Jesus. Picture time, if you will, past, present, and future, as the surface of a mill pond. It's perfectly flat, not a breath of air. The surface absolutely reflects the sky above the opposite shore the reeds and grass at your feet. And suddenly, the surface erupts as a fish breaks the surface. The splash of water fractures the light into thousands of rainbows eternity of life jesus has opened our experience of time to what is infinitely more than what we know of as ordinary time peter invites us to see that the old order of things is gone the old order where death always had the last word where decay was a foregone conclusion has been shattered that order is gone and with it our understanding and appreciation God is not slow to fulfill his promises, somehow slowness. In fact, Christ could appear at any moment, like the nocturnal arrival of the thief. Peter wants us to grasp that this is more than promise. His presence. The crucifixion was real. The resurrection is real. Christ's sacramental presence lives among us, dispensing grace, grace over law, grace over our past sins, grace over death. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are already a child of the kingdom. Christ's incarnational, scriptural, and sacramental presence is the guarantee of that eternal reality. The preview, the appetizer, to a full-blown marriage feast of the lamb and his kingdom, it is an external, everlasting explanation that the present order of things of this world is not the end all, be the all. There is more to this reality than milk pond that we can see. We know this to be true because it already was, is in Jesus. It was, is again in each of us at the font. It continues to this day in God's Word and in the Holy Sacraments. This reality is not confined to heaven that we cannot reach. Neither is it obscurely and subjectively hidden in our hearts, which we cannot fully share, though both of these ring true in part. Rather, it is objectively outside of us in the space-time reality in which we live. It is there, in Christ. Jesus is truly present in the here and now, not just in the then and there, and much less in the up there and whenever. Peter's point. I don't know if you noticed, but there is a progression in our gospel readings for this Advent season that is not chronological, but theological. Last week, Vicar Brinker helped us understand the, the Palm Sunday cry Hosanna, save us now! And he has. God has. The first Sunday of Advent is all about what God was doing in Christ. Today, we step back in time three years or so when John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. The second Sunday is all about what we are doing to prepare for Jesus' advent. And Peter has two things to say about our preparation. First, Jesus' delay allows for us and for all humanity a time to reflect, to reconsider. God, he writes, is patient for you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The present time is not simply dead time or metered time. We live in the fullness of God's gracious patience, a time to repent, to acknowledge, to accept, and to honor His merciful and long-suffering role. This is the time for the whole world to wake up to the reality of the bondage of all things to corruption and perishability through death and desire. I want it all is a dead end. It's time to wake up to the destruction we bring upon ourselves, even seek out for our treason and transgressions. Time to wake up to the reality of the purifying trial which God will subject all creation on the day of Jesus' return. The second thing that Peter has to say about Jesus' delay in our preparation is simply this. Now is the time for sanctification. He asks, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Lutherans are often accused of being soft on sanctification, and in part there is some truth in the affidavit. At times it smells like, it sounds like, worse righteousness to us. But Gerhard Ferdi calls us back to the roots of sanctification. It is grace. He asks us to picture sanctification as a battle, the total sinner. Each of us, you and I, comes under the attack of the total gift, grace, the forgiveness of sins in Christ. Grace confronts us as a totality. The words of absolution contain no levels or degrees. I forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves always starting fresh, completely forgiven. That turns the ordinary view of sanctification completely on its head. It's not growth in virtue or morality, no. It's growth in grace sanctification consists in being shaped by getting used to our justification. We begin more and more to trust God rather than ourselves. So what do we do with the cry of our culture? I want it all, and I want it now. Two things. Jesus has come. Jesus is coming. Jesus has come and wrought our salvation by the cross and open tomb. Jesus has come in word and sacrament, the eternal in the present. And Jesus is coming. Be patient with all of creation as the sons and daughters of God become known and grow in grace. Therefore, beloved, Peter writes, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And at peace. Amen. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus through life everlasting. Amen. We confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed on page 174, which is